Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that help craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. I'm thrilled to have another woman who is involved with finance on the show today, but in a different way. Justine Chan is going to be talking to us about a new website that she's created called Live With Plum. She was a first time home buyer. She modeled through the process and she loved learning more and more about it five years later for apartments and one license later. She's much more knowledgeable and she's here to share her knowledge with you. We hope you enjoy this show and you'll hear that Justine has a favorite beer that she really likes versus a favorite wine, which is perfectly okay. That's her palate. But if you want to just sit on back, sip your favorite beverage and enjoy the show, we hope you sure do. Hey, Justine, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on here. Well, we're excited to have you. For the listeners, uh, I have today Justine Chang on the call on the um, podcast. Justine reached out to me because she had listened to another podcast that I did about real estate. And it, for those of you that are interested, it was hacking uh, real estate hacks is the original one that I had on here. And she recently started her company, which is called Live with Plum, right? Not Live right. with Plum, but Live <laughs> with Plum. <laughs> and she just started it last year. She has lots and lots of good re- resources. Um, So we're going to dig into her journey and forming her own company, why she started this company, the particular purpose of working with women and her passion around that. But before we get started, as we always do, I understand, Justine, you prefer to drink beer. So why don't you share with us your favorite beer beverage? Yeah, I'm actually a cider kind of girl. So be a cider. Oh, cider. Okay. So do you have a favorite cider? very sweet of me. Um, and I like, um, when I was traveling in Europe way back when I came across this brand called Ricotta League and they have like an amazing pear cider. So it's kind of like apple cider, but almost just more fragrant because pears generally are more fragrant. So I would say that's my favorite drink. I can't find it easily in the U S but I love it. I don't think I've ever had, well, I'm not much of a cider person, so I don't think I've ever had a pair of cider. So we'll have to look that one up and post it in the show notes for people if they're interested. Maybe they can get it in some of the larger liquor stores or even order it online. 
So tell us a little bit about your journey. Let's dig right in. I'm so interested is into how uh, your proverbial vineyard was actually formed, right? So you started your company last year. You specifically uh, wanted to give a home buying guide for the modern woman. Uh, you live in, in New York City yourself, and you've kind of gone through this a little bit uh, on your own. So what take us back. Like, how did this all come to fruition? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going to take us way back. I actually grew up um, in Singapore, still really far away, but came to the U.S. um, for college and have lived there for about 12 years. But for me, when I was growing up, um, especially in the family that I came from and the environment I came from, having a house and a home was not just important to Uh, for shelter purposes, but really also for wealth building purposes. So I really grew up in a family where the prevailing mentality was not just about, you know, having stocks and equities and investing, um, but also having a portfolio of properties um, for rental income as well as appreciation value. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I started working, um, it just came very naturally to uh, start owning real estate. Um, so in 2014, and in and, and many different forms, right? It doesn't have to be like your forever home, but it can be um, a place where you start off as a starter home. And then after that, you gradually move into other places and you kind of move up. Um, so in 2014, I bought my first place in what I commonly refer to as my shoebox studio um, in New York City when I started my job Did we lose you? I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. We can edit that out. That's not a problem. Yeah. So, and that's really what started my journey. Um, and like I said, it was tiny, right? It was definitely a place I could afford. So it was not my forever home. Um, and then 2016, I bought another studio, a little bit of a bigger shoebox and moved out, started renting the first place, so on and so forth. So that really started kind of the trajectory of me, um, you know, having owning real estate, living in real estate, and then renting out, having rental properties, um, and also collect that started to collect rental income. So right now in my portfolio, I have three properties, um, one of which I live in. Um, it's a three-bedroom condo, so I live in one room and I rent out two rooms, um, and I have a roommate that I collect rental income from. So I would say that's kind of like my vineyard formation (laughs) journey (laughs) slash my story of how I got to be where I am. But it takes time, you know, it takes it takes time, it takes energy, it takes patience. Um, And for me, I feel really fortunate that I grew up in a family that has been very supportive um, of utilizing real estate as shelter plus investing. So were there any like words of wisdom that people gave you as you started down this journey? Uh, you know, what, what was it that really got you motivated to do this? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, that's a really good question. And I think about it also, um, like for me, honestly, it came really naturally. And I think, um, what really helped was also to start very small. So it felt like it was totally achievable. Um, and then secondly is also to, to always ask for help. I never felt like I could do everything myself, even though now I think I can do everything myself. When I first started out, I did not feel that way at all. I had a really helpful real estate agent. You know, I hit the books. I read like four to five different books out there on real estate. 
purchasing plus investing. So I think those two things, like starting small and starting very um, doable, you know, manageable really. And then secondly, also never believing that I could do everything myself and always asking for help. Mm. That's great. That's a great tip. Always asking for help. Cause I know a lot of myself included, a lot of women that I work with, we forget that that's an option. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And people are really, really helpful. Like when I started, you know, asking around, everyone was more than happy to give me their time and give me their resources. And I think when it's something, it's such a big purchase, but you know so little about it, um, that it, it was really comforting to just have like people lend me their time. And and then you just started, you, you decided to start your own business along these lines. So you went through your journey and then you decided, Hey, there's other people out there that might need my help. So you created this modern women's guide to home buying and correct. What correct. went into that? Yeah. So for me, like I, I worked for multiple years in a large corporate environment and there were many good things about it, but there were many things there were also some things about it that, you know, left me feeling wanting, right? Mm -hmm. And so I decided to start something that was a little bit more mission-driven. Um, right now, I mean, it's a company, but honestly, it doesn't feed me yet. So I still work <laughs> on the side, part-time, another job, right? But for me, this is like my, sort of like my passion play for now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, and it's really important because when I went about this journey, um, I felt so alone. Like, even though I had so many people who were helping me, even though I had like a real estate agent, I felt incredibly alone um, because, and everyone does, because you just don't know what you're doing. Um, you have absolutely no education. And the more I read about it, right, as I went along like my purchasing journey, the more I realized that women actually purchase at a higher rate than men. So a single woman, for example, in the US purchase at double the, almost double the rate of single men. Um, and also statistically are very different, tend to be older, tend to be lower income. Uh, and, you know, it's totally different purchasing patterns and purchasing mindset. But all the information that you see online, number one, is incredibly overwhelming. And number two, seems to be the same for everyone. There's no like segmentation. There's nothing that really spoke to me um, as a person. Uh, and so... All of that said, it really led me to think like, hey, if I want this resource so much, you know, I can't just like sit around. <laughs> I have to do something about it. Um, and so I decided to put my knowledge, my time to good use and set up. It, it's really a website, but my greater goal is to set up like a community of women who care about real estate investing and not just care about it, but don't feel intimidated to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you initially feel intimidated? Yeah, I think everyone does. You know, it's like, it's not like you're buying a bag or something. You're buying, you're buying a house. <laughs> um, it, honestly, I think I felt less intimidated than most people because I always knew this was going to happen. And I, you know, grew up in a family that like did this. But still, every single thing you, you, you view this like 20 page contract and you don't know if this contract is going to ruin your life. It is very, mm -hmm. very intimidating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just the, the terminology, right? I mean, that's a big barrier in a lot of cases. And um, I know that other women that I've spoken to and men too, but you know, people in general, they are experts in their particular area of 
study, but they don't know all the terminology and there's not like a central place really for people to go and get a lot of education around some of that terminology. When you um, launched the website, like you said, you still, this is sort of the side hustle at this point in time, but um, when you launched this website, what was your hope, long-term hope for the business? What do you want this to become long-term? Yeah, I want it to be a community. I want it to be like a, mo- a financial movement. I think, you know, demographically, more and more women are entering the workforce. More and more women are determining what we want out of our lives for ourselves. I and I want more and more women to be empowered to be smart about their finances. Um, I, mean, I mean, personal finance is a huge one, but there's so many resources for that. I wanted to concentrate on something that I was really good at and something where I felt like there was a gap um, in, in the amount of resources being provided. But overall, really the thought process is having control over your own finances so that you can live the life that you want to live. Um, and I, I truly think that we really have to change the conversation on how people talk about money. Do not just be afraid of it. Do not shy away from it. And also do not have negative connotations um, of how people, of how women and money are viewed. Mm -hmm. Do you hope that one day this business will be your full-time job? Yeah. I mean, I, I hope a hundred percent, right? Like it's something that I feel so strongly and so passionate about. I, you know, I I really wish I could spend a hundred percent of my time on it already. And I I really, I am spending so much more time on it than, (laughs) than anything that I'm getting out of it monetarily. Um, So yes, the long-term future I would say is, and I think that's the only way to be sustainable. I really believe that for business to be um, long-term viable, it has to be financially sustainable too. As, as you started to uh, put this business together, were, were there any particular points of advice that you received? I, I call them nutrients, right? Yeah. That, that went into this initial formation and, and then, you know, would help you in the long term. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we're kind of veering to company formation side and, and how I view it. I would say that, you know, the biggest lesson that I always take away from having a business is doing it is just literally doing whatever tasks you need to do is 80% of the battle won. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to get done for now. Mm-hmm. So that's just that's the advice that, that you were given. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that I also really strongly believe in. What other, from a financial perspective, was there any any advice that was given from that end of things in starting the business, and and what sort of barriers have you come up across either prior to forming the business, just in some of the transactions that you've done, or in forming the business? Yeah, I mean, on the financial side, like, I did not do 100% into the business without having a viable game plan or without testing, you know, seeing if there was a product market fit. So for me, I think like even the decision to um, spend a lot of my time on this, but also to be very sensible that this wouldn't support me financially was really important. Um, And then to your question on what other obstacles I faced. So figuring out how to monetize is an obstacle for sure. Um, And also figuring out how to make the monetization strategy align with um, my personal beliefs um, 
on on the audience and and how how I want this to to play out in the long term. So when you think about advice that you were given and barriers that you have to overcome, what kind of advice would you give to other people uh, about about real estate? I mean, what, what would be the one thing that you would want to make sure that people knew if there was only one thing when they're starting this journey on their own? So there was this... My audience is women, so this statistic is pretty specific to women, but there was a statistic that came out recently that I think is highly important for everyone to know. But basically, there was there are some professors and researchers at Yale School of Management, and they studied uh, you know, 50 million transactions, I believe, over like 20-something years of housing, um, sales, purchases, among all different kinds of people. So like married couples, single women, single men. And what they found out over all this research is that single women generally purchase the same house for, I believe, 2% more and sell it for about 2% less than single men. And so overall, given that you know we usually don't stay in the same place for the span of our life, there really is like a gap in a gender gap in housing returns in the same way as like a gender gap in wages and salaries. Um, and it at the end of the day, boils down to pretty much the same thing, right? Like, do you know what you're worth in this situation? Do you know what the house is worth? And are you willing to negotiate for it? And so are you trying to teach people how to do the negotiation skills? Is that a piece of what you're trying to do? It will be coming up. Right now, I'm really focused on the education aspect of how to purchase a home. The negotiation piece is definitely um, a piece of content that I'm coming up with. But right now, my content is mostly focused on, like, how do you improve your credit scores? How do you pick a real estate agent? Mm -hmm. Um, It's all all intertwined. So on your website, you talk about pre-home buying, home buying, and then Mm -hmm. post-home buying. Right. Uh, Well, you want to talk a little bit about those three different uh, phases of, of home buying and owning. Yeah. So for me, one thing that I realized when I was speaking to people is many people think of home buying as just like one massive thing, very super unclear. But when I started to break it down, I realized there were three aspects of it. What I call the first phase is pre-home buying. Pre-home buying is really everything up to the process where you put in an offer. So this includes things like I mentioned, getting your credit score in order, finding the right mortgage option for you, including things like finding a real estate agent. Um, So there's a lot of preparation that needs to be done even before you put it off in a house. Mm -hmm. Second phase is what most people think of as home buying, but it's basically getting, putting the offer, getting the accepted offer all the way to closing. Um, where closing is like the day in which you get the deed and like you officially become the owner of the new house. There are quite a few things that go into this too that people don't really understand, especially with take a mortgage. Um, there's things like appraisals, which is basically getting an objective opinion of your house. There's also inspections, which is someone coming in to see whether there's any issues with your house so you can negotiate a bit more about it. So there are all these different steps during home buying too, and I further break it down. Last but not least, kind of the most straightforward piece is called post-home buying. So it's basically at the point in time after you become a homeowner, but it includes things like moving um, and also like setting up your utilities. So I really try and walk everyone through all the different steps of the process to give a lot more clarity about what needs to happen. 
And do you feel that there's different challenges? I'm guessing there's different challenges in each of those three phases, right? So, I mean, it's not like nothing straightforward ever. (laughs) Nothing, nothing's average really. Right. Yeah. Is there, is there one tip that you could give us in each of those three areas that would get people interested in learning more about those different phases? Yeah, I would say in the pre-home buying one, the one tip that I do is um, teaching people how to calculate what house they should afford and also how do you calculate the closing cost or at least estimate the closing cost that you have on your house. So many people, for example, um, don't, you know, go to a mortgage banker, which is great to figure out how much house they can buy. But it's just really important to understand how much do you also need to save up for on top of your down payment um, for closing costs, like your mortgage closing costs, like even, you know, your moving fees, um, your inspection fees, small little things that all really add up. So that's one tip really in the pre-home buying phase um, that I encourage everyone to look into as soon as they can so they can know um, how much down how much to save up for on top of the down payment. The second piece on the home buying phase that I talk about is, I think the inspection piece of the home buying phase is really the most important aspect. Uh, you pay have to pay for the inspections, so you should try and get your money's worth. But really what happens during an inspection is, you know, a professional comes to your house, they try and understand um, what, you know, what condition the house is in. It's also really important to, know what home inspectors don't look for um, and therefore what you need to be prepared may go wrong post-close. Um, mm-hmm. So what you do and what they don't look for is really important. And then last but not least in post-home buying. So in this piece, I the piece that I would say is the most helpful is I give people a list of things to like set up um, and close out when they move. So this includes things like your cable satellite, you know, your internet, your like electricity, mm-hmm. security. So like a laundry list of things that most people kind of um, either forget about or don't have a consolidated list of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, those are important things because if you get to turn those off, you're going to pain for a bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's now, so unnecessary to pay all those things. And, and did somebody give you that advice or was that something that you learned in your experience? Yeah, I had to learn it. I mean, I, it was like the first time I did it was just so painful. The second time was a lot easier because I had this list for the first time and I just wish that mm-hmm. someone had given me this list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we talk a lot of times about what would we say to our younger selves? You know, what, what, sort of lessons have we learned over time that we would say to our younger selves? Um, It sounds like you've created some lists that you would say to your younger self, but is there anything that really stands out in this entire process? I mean, obviously you're trying to share with people some of the things that you've learned around along the way. um, And that's sort of like talking to your younger self, right? Is there anything that, like really stands out that you wish somebody else had told you right on that first purchase that you made? Yeah, I I would say, I would say educate yourself more than you think you need to, because I went mm-hmm. in thinking that I, you know, I had read all this book. I had a real estate agent. I know all these things and it was still, 
I did not know. I did not know everything that I needed to, and and I made mistakes along the way. I think, you know, generally that's to be expected. But I really wish, um, you know, I had read even more, and especially specific to the state that I was in, because it kind of mm-hmm. differs state to state. In New York City, at the end of the day, is such a piece of a market by itself. One hundred percent. Like it was the first time. It was just it was a lot. Um, yeah, so I would say that's like the number one piece of advice that I would give myself. And I honestly don't number one piece of advice that I suggest everyone, um, take. Now, if people come, like, let's say, you know, people are interested in learning how to buy a home, right. And maybe even in New York city specifically, which is a bit of a different market because, um, any metropolitan city really is honestly, but New York city does have its, uh, uniqueness to it. Um, would you charge them for a fee to help them through this consultation or right now it's just, here's the education, please come and get it. Yeah. It's more the latter. Um, I don't charge a fee for anyone that's coming in or even to ask me questions on the website. It's really all free. Like for me right now, the main goal is to get the message out there. Um, and especially during this really difficult period, right? The main goal is to just be as helpful as I can. Um, in the longer term, um, who knows? Because I do need to survive in some way. But for right now, I'm really not. I'm really, really, really trying to just, you know, keep everything totally free. What do you do, if you can tell us, what do you do for income? What is your primary job? Your income yeah. job. This this sounds like your primary job, but what is your income <laughs> job? <laughs> no, this is my primary job, but what I do to make a living. Um, I, I do two things. One, I uh, f- do a little bit of consulting. And then secondly, I also work as a real estate agent in New York City. Okay. So you're familiar. Now, did you start out as a real estate agent? No, I did not. I really became a real estate agent only after doing it. It was only last year. Like when I started this company, I became a real estate agent so that I could really understand the full cycle, not just from a buyer's perspective, but also to understand like from an agent, all the education that they have to go through and really try and, you know, fully um, know the process in and out. Okay. And before that, what, what did you switch from? What were you doing prior to becoming a real estate agent? I worked mostly in um, startups in the beauty space. No kidding. That's really amazing. So your transition was working for, so you understand that process of starting up a company and and really took that and utilized a lot of that knowledge to start your own, even though that's not your your primary um, income source right now, you were able to utilize a lot of that knowledge from your prior job to create your own company and create your own startup. So you'll have some experience when you do get to the point where this company starts to generate some revenue in the future, you, you understand that process and that dynamic. So, so it's kind of a, a, another nutrient to what you're doing here. And then you decided to switch and go into, um, being a real estate agent in a very tough market, right? I mean, New York City is not, it's not all that it's, oh, it's incredible. it doesn't have all its glamour. <laughs> I think, to be honest, I think that was incredibly helpful for me to understand their perspective. Because when you're a buyer, you don't understand why agents do certain things. But now that I do work as an agent, I, I like, 
it was absolutely key for me to do that so that I could really display content from a point of view that understands all perspectives. That was really important. Mm-hmm. As an agent, can you explain real quick the difference between an agent um, from a seller's perspective and from that, and then from a buyer's perspective? I mean, you fundamentally do quite different, uh, similar yet different things, like similar in the sense that you do represent your client's interest in every transaction, different in the sense that your job is pretty different. Like for a seller's agent, you're really, you know, trying to sell the house, right? So you just do a lot of showings, you like do a lot of negotiations, you ensure that the transaction goes smoothly. Um, for the buyer's agent, you're helping them to find a house that works for them. But and then after that, you know, you work with the seller's agent to ensure that the entire transaction goes smoothly. So mm-hmm. the job in itself, like, it's similar because a lot of it is client services, but it's also different because, you know, you, you're fundamentally trying to do different things. Hmm. Um, and, and the way that you, so if you were a buyer, could, do you represent on both sides or have you decided to focus on no, one or the other? I represent both sides. Both sides. Okay. So when you're, when you're out there on the buyer side, you're trying to get the best price, right. For your buyer. Um, a lot of people don't understand how agents get paid either. Do you mind spending just a few moments explaining that? Uh Yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure this is the same across all states in the U S but there are slight variations. Um, so it's a commission based, job basically right so um the seller actually pays the full commission of both agents uh when when it it closes so for example if the agent does a deal but the deal doesn't go through the agents don't get paid you only get paid when the deal entirely goes through but if it does go through it's a percentage of the um purchase price so the if the home is going for let's say a million dollars to make it easy um, usually it's about five to six percent split between both agents. So it would be about sixty thousand dollars split between both agents. So each agent will get about thirty thousand dollars each. Okay. So even though it's three and three, like and you said six percent, you were saying three and three, it's the seller that actually pays that commission. Right. The buyer right. does not buyer pay any portion of it. Yep. So from most points of view, um, for first-time homeowners, generally, I do recommend having an agent, uh, but it's it's still a personal choice at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, if, is there anything that you've noticed in your uh, journey that um, you feel that it wasn't misinformation or misguidance, but just maybe there was a misunderstanding around the education behind it, because that's one of the things about, you know, that we try to be really careful about whenever we're talking about financial transactions, especially when you've been in the profession for a long time, you start to get so used to the language that you don't realize that other people don't fully understand that language. Was there anything that was like a real shocker that you um, later learned wasn't what you thought it was? Mm, I'm trying to think. I don't. Mm. Or is there anything that you wish you could have gone back? I call it the replanting, right? So I, I, is there a 
patch of uh, grapes, as I would say, when referring to the vineyard, um, that you could look at and say, hmm, I probably would have planted something different there. Or I probably would have done this differently and maybe did on the second time around, right? Uh, as compared to the first. Yeah, I... Uh, I'm trying to think about what I would have done differently. I don't know, to be honest. I mean, this starting this company, so to speak, was the biggest thing so far. So mm-hmm. I feel like most of my learning journeys have been associated with this. <laughs> um, but it's also too early to tell if I would do anything differently just because it's only been yeah. a couple of months. Uh, but I would yeah, say... Well, I think that's... Mm-hmm. That's a valid point. Like you're, you're, you're early on into starting this company, but I was thinking more on the buying side when you first, you know, first purchased and, and was there any language that you later came back and said, Oh, I didn't understand that to mean this, you know, just, just a lot of times, again, just in general, there, there can be learning curves on the language of financial transactions. And I was just curious if there was, there was any that you would point out. Yeah, maybe just understanding that um, in a mortgage transaction. So for me, I always thought that picking the mortgage with the lowest rate was uh, Mm. the best thing. And later I realized that, okay, probably not, right? Because like an adjustable rate mortgage has a lower rate than a fixed rate, but it adjusts over time. So um, not that I ever picked picked an adjustable rate, but um, that was something that I don't think I was fully educated on until later on in the process. Mm -hmm. I think that is really important. I think that people understand those terminology, that terminology is very important. And like you said, an adjustable rate might start out very low, but then might adjust up after they call them arms, right? Adjustable rate mortgage. And there might be a one year, it might be a five year, could be a seven year. Those are different terms after it's flat at first and fixed at first, but then might adjust. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they have the option that if that's what they picked, they can actually refinance. Right, you can refinance. Now there could be closing costs associated with that. So people should be aware of it, but that is an option that they have available. If interest rates were quite high when they, when the rates did adjust, that's an option that they have. Yeah. Or like, because rates are so low right now, that if you're adjustable, that is reasonable enough. You, it's also a consideration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in our final question, Justine, that we always like to ask our guests because um, there's such a variety of different answers to this. We just love to know what people think. What is your definition of success? Yeah, my definition of success is, I would say, freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, freedom to do things that I enjoy doing without think- fully thinking about either the financial consequence or really anything. I would say freedom has always been my definition of what success means. Yeah, that's wonderful. And your goal is to help other people find that same freedom with their home. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, freedom to like even be in, especially in this specific market turmoil to even like Mm -hmm. be a bit more worry-free about your expenses for the next year and all of that or like, you know, where the money will come from, like all of the, all of that freedom is really important to me. Yeah. 
Well, we wish you that success. I hope that you'll keep us posted on how this progresses. Uh, Where can people find more information about you and how can they reach out to you or how can they follow you? People can follow me primarily at my website and on Instagram. So on our website, we are livewithplum.com. So L-I-V-E-W-I-T-H-P-L-U-M.com. And our Instagram handle is livewithplum. Well, that's wonderful. We really appreciate you being on the show. And I think if people want to check you out, we will have the link in the show notes so people can indeed go to your website. And I think, are you also on Facebook and Twitter by any chance? Yes, we are also on Facebook and Twitter if that is your preferred mode. (laughs) Uh Um, So same handle, live with Plum for both of those as well. Okay, Facebook and Twitter. Okay. We'll make sure to post those in the show notes. We really appreciate you taking the time um, in sharing your gifts by creating this website. So if people are interested, you can go as, as uh, just, Justine mentioned, it's livewithplum.com. And though that's also the handle for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, if you want to check her out. If there's um, additional information that you want, there's also an email address that she has listed on the website or a, a join us um, for the web, for your newsletter uh, on the website as well. People can get more information. We thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.